Over the past few weeks, while we're spread apart at our homes, we've been devoting ourselves to the values of what unite us together. The series Church Together has been considering topics, discipleship, purposeful discipleship, passionate worship, fervent prayer, unity together as a church, and today we're going to be considering what it means to be a church united together in courageous evangelism. This is a task, evangelism, for every Christian. All Christians have been entrusted as bold witnesses and merciful neighbors with the message of the gospel. This is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 5, the Apostle Paul says, For I delivered as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 10 verse 9. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Church, every follower of Jesus is entrusted with this message to be an ambassador for God. This past weekend in the lock home, we had family pictures. We're trying to get them maybe annually now, but we're trying to do them in different season of the year. Last year we did it in the fall. This year we decided to do it in the spring because the flowers in our, excuse me, the buds on the trees in our neighborhood have a lot of different really beautiful flowers. And I wanted to get family pictures with those nice spring flowers. And they're here quickly and they're gone. And I was always walking around yesterday. I just took a deep breath when there was a gust of wind and there was a very strong aroma of the budding flowers. And I just realized, wow, I I think I really like spring. But my next thought was then realizing, yeah, but for some people, that same aroma isn't pleasing, it's agitating because allergies. That's what evangelism is like. While it is the pleasing aroma of God that gives life to many, it agitates. And they don't want to be around it. Jesus died for our sins, but the idea of sin is openly mocked in, with satirical comedy in our in pop culture. The need for salvation and the story of Jesus is often marginalized as like a, just a children's fairy tale. But for us who have believed it, to us who have been changed by it, we know that it is good news of great joy for all people. We know that it is not satire, it's wisdom. That it's not a children's story, it's the power of God. All Christians have been entrusted as bold witnesses and merciful neighbors with the message of the gospel. But, Some of us can feel indifferent to the responsibility to represent Jesus. Some of us, like myself, can feel insecure about sharing the message of Jesus with others. 
Today, Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16, is going to be our text that encourages courageous evangelism. And it's going to emphasize this. You were made to make a difference. You were made to make a difference. You may feel indifferent. You may feel insecure. But as a follower of Jesus, you were made to make a difference. Matthew 5, verse 3, uh, 13 to 16 is going to identify three features of a difference-making disciple who is entrusted with a message of the gospel. So let's look at the scripture and read this together. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16. This is God's word. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You were made to make a difference. Let's now look at the three features of a difference-making disciple. The first one is personal. Difference-making disciples start with themselves. So Jesus is making an identity statement about you, Christian. You are, twice, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is who you are. If we are going to make a difference in others, we need to learn to start with ourselves. When we make a difference in others, Christians act like salt and light by deliberately and actively engaging in relationships with our neighbors so that they can hear the message of the gospel, so that they can observe the outcome of the way of our life with the goal that they would be transformed to become worshipers of God as we are in Christ. God's power makes the change, but he partners with us to make the difference. And that difference is like salt and light. But if we're going to make this difference of salt and light in others, we need to see how that difference starts with ourselves. How do salt and light make a difference? Well, salt preserves food. In a time like the first century, refrigeration didn't exist like it does today. Salt was used to be able to preserve meat. Salt preserves food. Salt also changes or enhances flavor. That's why I always salt my steaks before I cook them. And that's why my scrambled eggs get salted too. On the other hand, light. Light makes a difference by exposing and by guiding. Even this morning, um, uh, Mark, before services started had to go and turn off the water in our baptismal tank. By the grace of God, we're seeing people baptized in our church later, and the church will be able to see those videos. But in order to go 
turn off that water. He needed to do what you need to do in the middle of the night if you're going to go get like toilet paper or in the hallway or something. He turned the flashlight on on his phone to go into a dark place to see where he needed to go to turn off the lever. That's what light does. It exposes the darkness. It guides where you need to go. Now think about the place where you are around non-Christians and unbelievers the most. Think about the ways they live. You know the conventional ways that people think and live in our world. Think of your school. Think of your workplace. Think of your social circles, your family. As light is contrary to the darkness, so there are contrary conventional conventional ways of thinking and living that are contrary to the light of the gospel. Being the light of the world means that we expose the conventional ways of thinking in our culture and we guide them to the kingdom way of thinking and living in Christ. Christian, you were made to make a difference, to preserve good in the world, to change what's spoiling in Christ, to expose conventional and sinful ways of thinking and living, and to guide towards the better way of the gospel. You were made to make a difference. Yet, I only believe that we'll genuinely make a difference in others to the degree that we're willing to let Christ make a difference in us. Difference-making disciples start with themselves. What does that look like? Well, I think we need to learn to be able to cultivate these three prayerful attitudes. If we are going to be useful to make a difference in the lives of others, we need to cultivate these three prayerful attitudes to see Christ make a difference in us. Like this. First, identify the ways that you are prone to conventional ways of thinking. Identify the ways that your attitude quickly spoils. Identify as a way that you're prone to sin. God, I know at the end of the day, I choose to be lazy. I neglect my responsibilities. I go back to it every day like a dog goes back to his vomit. I know it's wrong, but I still do it. Identify the ways that you're prone to sin, but own your faults without excuse, yet in faith. God, I was foolish and selfish again. I chose to watch TV instead of spending time with the kids. I know it's wrong. It's easy to hide in the dark, but God, I want to walk in fellowship with you. So please, find me in the grace and love that forgives and redeems in Christ. Identify the way you're prone to sin. Own your faults without excuse, yet with faith and Enlist the support from trusted friends. God, I think I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm responsible to do, but I despair so easily, and I need support of encouragement to stay on track. When we participate actively in our own process of change, the more we do that, the more we can genuinely, sincerely make a difference in the lives of others. The more you walk in the light, the more you'll be able to reflect the light. The more we see God making a difference in us, the more we'll be committed to making a difference in others. And that's the second feature of a difference-making disciple. Difference-making disciples are committed 
to the task. You were made to make a difference. Are you committed to the task? Remember, salt preserves and changes. Light exposes and guides. And that can only happen when we are deliberately and actively engaged in relationships with our neighbors so they can hear the gospel, so they can see the outcome of the way of our life, and they can be transformed to become believers and worshipers as we are. But... The pandemic has really made it hard to be able to be actively and deliberately engaged in relationships with others, hasn't it? Uh, My family went through a routine before the pandemic of trying to intentionally um, have one community neighbor over for a meal once a month and one uh, member of our church over once a month. We went from that type of activity, trying to build relationships with others, to seeing no people in our home for many, many months. It's been hard. The way that humans are interacting has really changed. The other day, my wife and my two kids were trying to go outside just to get some fresh air. Uh, my daughter got her shoes on first. While my wife was trying to help my son get her, his shoes on, my daughter went out her front steps. She loves people. She's a sociable girl. Um, and we try and uh, encourage her to be able to say hello to people. She knows she needs to keep her distance. But as she walked out while my wife was still up the stairs with my son, uh, two people with masks were walking by our home. And as my daughter did, knowing she needs to keep her distance, she went up close and just waved hello, expecting that people would say hi back, as often people do. But rather, uh, these two people, with whatever perspectives they have towards the pandemic, shrieked and ran away, waving their hands and yelling at my daughter to stay back in the way that I might imagine someone would do if I was running at them with a knife. And, and it really shook her. Human interactions have dramatically changed. Even ye- yesterday, my family and I were out at a park but we decided to change our activities because the amount of people there was just a little too uncomfortable for us. How can we be actively and deliberately engaged in relationships with others in these contexts? Okay, so the pandemic has forced our approach to the task to change. We recognize that. But while we need to change our approach, our commitment cannot change. But I wonder if it has. Has your commitment to the task of evangelism been neglected over this past year? We were made to make a difference. So let's think about the people closest to you. Rather, let's think about your reputation with the people closest to you. What environment comes to mind when you have the closest relationships with people who don't share the faith? Are you thinking about school? Or are you thinking about your extended family? Maybe it's work. Maybe it's your neighborhood, like it is for me. With those relationships and your reputation in them, are you committed to the task of evangelism or are you neglecting it? You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste... 
how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Salt in Jesus' time got to the kitchen differently than salt in our time gets to our kitchen. What's the, what's the chemical word for salt? It's sodium, sodium chloride, right? Yeah, today in our day, sodium chloride, very pure, very chemically stable, doesn't lose its flavor. That wasn't the salt that was in Jesus' time that got to their table. It might have been um, mined out of the water through evaporation and in the process mixed with other ingredients, so it was rather impure. So it would not be uncommon for their salts to actually lose its saltiness. But if salt loses its saltiness... It's not good for anything. It's, it, it'd be better used as dirt under your feet rather than seasoning on top of your food. Ancient cities in our uh, ancient times uh, were built strategically um, differently than you might see in modern times. Jerusalem was unique. It wasn't built around any port city. Um, it was kind of landlocked. A lot of times, major metropolitans um, are built around ports. And uh, think of cities like New York, Toronto, Chicago. And these cities, especially at nighttime, have a very distinct skyline. Think of Toronto. What do you think of when you think of the Toronto skyline? It's CN Tower, Skydome. I don't, well, I mean, I guess we're supposed to call it Rogers Center, but... Now... It's unmistakable. You can't miss it. In ancient times, cities like Jerusalem would often be built up on elevated mountaintops. Cities in Greece as well were the same. And travelers who were going in and out of the land, who were common to that area, when they saw the elevated uh, buildings and temples up on the hills, the light was unmistakable. You couldn't miss it. You were made to make a difference. See, for Jesus, it's inconceivable that his disciples would choose to blend in rather than stand out. The person who claims to be a disciple but willfully chooses to blend in to Jesus is making an inconceivable choice and becomes useless to the Lord. You were made to make a difference. So why though? Why do we choose to blend in rather than actively and deliberately standing out in our commitment to evangelism? I think of two reasons. The first is indifference and the second is insecurity. I know that sometimes I can make the inconceivable choice to blend in because I'm secure. Let's think about indifferent people first. Indifferent people just don't care. 
Sometimes, though, it's not that like we don't care at all, but sometimes there are seasons in our life where we feel like we don't have enough energy to be able to care. There are a lot of times because of pain and because of suffering and because of hardship, we're so focused on the thing that we're, we're going through and we're just trying to get through the, another day that it's really hard to be able to think about other people at all. I get that. And you know, honestly, other people probably see that in you as well during that time. You may not realize it, Christian, but that time might be one of the most effective times for you to be a witness for Jesus. It might be one of the best opportunities for you to be salt and light. If we're willing to be honest, honest with the hardship, honest with the struggle to wrestle for hope, but express that there is hopefulness even in those hardships, that can be an effective witness. So the next time a neighbor or a coworker or a classmate asks, how are you? You could give the, you know, let's move on answer, or you could be a little honest. And you could express that even though you're struggling, you're still trying to find hope. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, always be ready. Always be ready when someone asks you to give a defense for the reason of the hope that is in you. And Christian, in our hardships, we have hope. And even through your hardships, it might be hard to care about other people, but even by just being honest, you can give reason for hope and be an effective witness and make a difference. Now, other people aren't different just because they straight up don't care. And maybe that's you. You're watching the stream because someone made you watch the stream and you don't really care to be here and you're just scrolling on your phone wondering until when it's going to be done and when you can go on with your day. You don't care to be salt and light. You haven't tried and you won't try. If that's you, to Jesus, your choice seems inconceivable and it makes you useless to him. If that's you, you should not feel secure that you are a true disciple of Jesus. That you don't care, you won't try, and you'll never try. Jesus is not interested in being a therapist that merely eases your sense of guilt so that you can go back living the way that you want to live. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15 says this is, shows the change that we should have if we're true disciples of Jesus. It says, he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And if you're indifferent because you don't care and you don't want to care, just stop playing games with Jesus. He's the master who bought you for himself with the price of his own life. And he wants you to glorify him with your life. But I think most of us lack commitment for the same reason that I can neglect my commitment to evangelism. It's not really because we're indifferent. It's more because we are insecure. I know I can be. So you are actively engaged in the lives of your neighbors, and you know you should be stepping out rather than blending in, but you're worried. You're worried what others will think of you if you don't blend in. And to those of you who feel like that, I want to strengthen your faith 
and strengthen your commitment with an encouragement through the scriptures. Listen to these passages. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 reminds us, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. John 15 verse 18 to 19. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Matthew 5, verse 11 to 12, Jesus also says this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets before you. You can have the reward of other people's approval and affirmation now. It's there if you want it. Or you can be salt and light. And maybe be an unpleasant aroma in the eyes of, or in the nostrils of others. But have greater treasure in heaven knowing that your father is pleased with you. Take heart, brothers and sisters. You were made to make a difference. And Christ will use us when we start with ourselves, when we are committed to the task, and we'll endure through it when we are focused on the goal. That's the third feature of difference-making disciples. You were made to make a difference. And difference-making disciples are focused on the goal. The goal of our evangelistic task is seen in verse 16. Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that, here's the goal, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is why we're committed to the task of salt and light. This is why we are committed to deliberately and actively engage in the lives of others. We want them to hear the good news of great joy. We're willing to allow them to see the outcome of our way of life because the goal is that we want to see in them a change in heart that inspires true worship. That they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A change of heart that inspires true worship. That's the goal. But you might be a skeptic of Christianity. You might be a young person who's even like trying to assess the stuff that your parents taught you growing up and wondering, am I really going to believe this for myself? Or you might have been invited to watch this stream by someone who wants you to consider Christianity and you're a little curious about what this is all about and skeptical about whether it's worthwhile. So when you hear the word worship, that's what other Christians are trying to do in the lives of others. That's the difference you're trying to make. You're right now probably thinking this in strictly religious connotations. But it's not really a religious word at the heart of it. Everyone is a worshiper, whether you're religious or you're not. Let me show you how. Oh, my kids have been learning about planets in our solar system from the same YouTube channel that made that song Baby Shark popular a few years ago. 
and they love the song. My daughter sings it all the time. Uh, and I like to sing with her about Super Duper Jupiter as well. I'm not sure, though, from this song and other songs that I've heard, I'm still a little uncertain if Pluto actually gets a seat at the big kid's table with the rest of the planets, or if he's still sitting at the little kid's table with the planetoids. Chris Lucas shaking his head saying, no, no, he's not a planet. Well, sorry, Pluto. It seems like it changes a lot, but either way. All the planets, I guess, and planetoids, they're kept in orbit in our solar system because of the mass, because of the weight of the sun. Its weight, its mass, keeps a gravita- has a gravitational pull that keeps all of the other planets in perfect orbit and planetoids. All right, now think about your life and your priorities. What is the thing that has most weight, most significance, and highest priority in your life that all other priorities must orbit around because of its central significance? For some people, it's their career. Career is most significant, and their marriage, their kids, even their health, all orbit around the higher priority and greater significance of career. For some people, it's their parents' approval. Mom and dad's approval is the most important thing, and whether it's their boyfriend or their education or even their fashion, everything revolves, everything orbits around what mom and dad think. This thing that has most significance in your life that everything else must orbit around, that's the thing that you're worshiping. Pastor Timothy Keller says it like this. The thing that we worship is the thing that absorbs your heart and imagination the most. It's the thing that we expect or hope will fulfill all of our deepest desires. It's the thing that's so central and so essential in our lives that if you lost it, you would feel like life is hardly worth living at all. That's the thing that we worship. Now, you might be thinking again, all right, well, why are you trying to convert people? Why not just let people find their own happiness their own way? Well, if we are created by God in his own image, wouldn't it make sense that our greatest happiness and our deepest fulfillment can only come from our creator? Let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. That's the goal. That what other other thing they might be giving glory to, to be able to reveal that these are counterfeit gods that are empty and hollow, that cannot fulfill the deepest desires that our Father in heaven created for us. And when we see that our God rescued us from these empty and hollow counterfeit gods to restore us into relationship with the true God and we see the grace and the mercy and the love that he was willing to pour out to be able to do it and the forgiveness that was offered though I did not deserve it, that changes the heart. That redirects the significance and the weight of someone's life around, away from the counterfeit gods and to the true one living God. 
That's who the only one who can fulfill, truly fulfill, our greatest happiness and our deepest desires. Christian, you were made to make a difference. And this is what the task of courageous evangelism is all about. To help others know and enjoy the God who made us in his image by sharing the good news of great joy for all people. Actively, deliberately, this is our task. This is the difference the gospel can make in you. And maybe you're here today and you know that you've been putting your hope and putting your expectations in a counterfeit God. And you see the way that everything else has been orbiting around it and the sacrifices you're making for what's not fulfilling you. This is the difference the gospel can make in you. This is what you can find when you have your faith in Jesus. For I delivered of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised from the dead according to the scriptures. If you believe that Christ suffered in your place for your sins, you will be restored to relationship with the Father and you can find your greatest hope and your deepest desires fulfilled in him. And Christian, if you've believed in that, now you've been made an advocate for it. Now you're representative of it. Now you've been remade to make a difference. Difference-making disciples start with themselves. Difference-making disciples are committed to the task. We fight against indifference. We stand firm even in the reality of our insecurity. And difference-making disciples are focused on the goal, changing hearts that inspire worship so we can become the people God has made us to be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we can have relationship with you. And thank you that in you, there is fullness of joy. In you, there is life forevermore. God, would you forgive us for worshiping counterfeit idols? For creating gods in our own image that we think will satisfy us but never truly do? Lord, thank you that Jesus lived a life that was truly loyal and truly committed to you. Thank you that he was willing to suffer rejection and punishment in our place on the cross. And thank you that in him we can be restored to right relationship with you so that we can live as the people you made us to be and worship you as you deserve. Help us, Lord God, to find our fulfillment in you and to be ambassadors for you, making a difference in the lives of others. We see the world, the way that our world's hurting and broken and divided. Would we be meek peacemakers standing up with your message to the world around us? Thank you that now, Lord God, we can observe communion. Thank you that through the bread broken and the cup that we drink, we can remember the sacrifice that was been made. And we can proclaim your death till you come again as you said you will. So now, take it with joy and faith 
In Jesus' name, amen.